the Virtual Band Director Conference. This is a 24-7 resource for you, band directors all over the world. I'm your host, John Liner. Let's get this party started. Episode 11, Improving Your Daily Drill with Rory Davis. You ready to get this party started, Mr. Davis? Sure. Let's do it. <laughs> all right. So, so why do we why do we do a warm up? Why do we warm up the band? Well, you know, let me start by saying, number one, I'm not the end all and be all. I think everybody knows that, but everybody has a different approach to how they prepare for their rehearsals, and because I think there are two parts to our our preparation. There's a mental aspect and a physical aspect. And just like if I'm an athlete, I have to prepare my body for the activity that I'm getting ready to do. I believe in band world, we have to prepare them to be able to accomplish whatever skill set, whatever music we're trying to produce. If they don't have a way about that, then they're not going to be able to produce at the level that you probably want them to. You can't just jump in and go. So um, mental preparation, you know, I think the students need to be aware of the concepts that, that you're trying to teach on that particular day. For my band, before we ever do anything at all, I mean, the first thing we do mentally is when we get ready to start, we actually stand up. This is part of our everyday thing. When I walk in the room or when, you know, we have a little timer that goes off and, and once it hits a zero, all the students automatically stand up. And when they stand up, they're in a position, what we call to receive instruction. You know, so they already know mentally from the beginning of class that once that zero timer, that timer hits zero, it's time to receive instruction. So there's a mental preparation that gets us ready for the physical aspect of what we're getting ready to do. Okay. So then um, I don't have to fight through a lot of things because mentally the students are already prepared to receive the instruction that I'm getting ready to give them. Secondly, the, the physical preparation for us begins with just, just calming our bodies down and a breathing exercise. And then that breathing exercise, it does more than just kind of open your lungs. It actually gets their minds to be right. Um, starts, it calms down everything that was going on in the hallway before <laughs> they got to the band room or everything that went on in the band, back of the band room while they were trying to, you know, get ready to get to get to their seats to do whatever. So the, the mental aspect of it is important and the physical aspect of it is important. I think most people want to know about this music part. So we'll, we'll move on uh, to the physical aspect, I guess. Um, since we're physically producing sound notes, rhythm, then there has to be a physical body warm up to what we're doing. Some people call it warm up. Some people call it a daily drill. I just call it a preparation. It, it, it's a rehearsal prep. And with that, what is what do you usually put in that preparation? Um, I call it a collection of preparation activities, you know, that that we use daily to help students achieve their desired ensemble results or our desired ensemble results. So it, for me, like I said, it's breathing, uh, typical in most people, long tones, but not long tones just for the sake of long tones. I'll get into that in a minute lip slurs, interval training exercises, whether it's a, you know, one group is on a drone while another group may be doing intervals in scale um, so that we can learn how to tune intervals. And I'll, I'll kind of back that up into a 
multiple level thing, depending on the, the uh, level of the group you're working with. And then even up to corrals. There's so many things that I put into a daily drill, but I don't put them into a daily drill immediately. I tend to move quite slowly, which causes some people angst. Not everybody can do that. And you have to move at a pace that the group that you're teaching can receive. Whether junior high or high school, every group has a, a learning speed, if you will. And it's up to the director to, excuse me, to figure out the learning speed of that group and then figure out how to introduce the different balanced concepts that you want to produce for your group. So, and I just want to make sure I'm getting this right. So we're on our daily drill. We want to make sure the concepts that we're putting into our daily drill with the long tones, the articulation, those kinds of things reflects the, the type of results or the kind of results we want in our music. Yeah, it, you can't play music that has things that you haven't taught your kids. See, a lot of times people try to play music that has things in there that they're not actively teaching their students. I'll go the far end, like double tonguing, for instance. You know, someone decides they want to play something that has this crazy articulation, but they don't do any kind of multiple tonguing articulation on a daily basis. Okay, so if you're going to, whatever you're going to do musically, you have to prepare in your daily preparation before you get to the music, okay? So my long tones, you know, you're gonna, I, I'm sure you're gonna ask me like, what, what do I listen for or whatever? In my long tones, I'm really listening for characteristic tone qualities. Now here's the catch on that. Everybody, well, a lot of people have a different idea of what's characteristic depending on where you are. And I understand that, you know, in one part of the nation, this is characteristic in another part of the nation. This is characteristic. And, you know, it, it's relative. But I think good, if you will, or, you know, a clarinet is still a clarinet and not a buzzsaw at the end of the day. <laughs> you know? And so even like our, our second band, our third bands, our lower players, we're expecting them to have a, a characteristic sound, too. I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. When I was at Sinker Ranch Junior High, and I still do it at Sinker Ranch High School, but when I was at Sinker Ranch Junior High, one of the things I often said about my students was from the, the best kid in the program to the least um, achieving kid in the program, they could all make a characteristic sound, at least on one note. <laughs> you know, <laughs> now when you start moving, different things happen. But the point being was that the process by which we taught kids to play their instrument, we were determined to make a trumpet sound like a trumpet, you know, on at least one note, because we had to have a model of the tone in order for everyone to achieve a certain thing. So like people say that tone band sound is what I do. Most people say, you know, that that's kind of my strong suit when it comes to band playing, you know, and so what I do is I spend a lot of time on preparing kids, uh, on teaching kids how to make a great sound on their individual instrument. Because if you get a bunch of kids that don't make good sounds on their instrument, then you got a band that doesn't make a good sound. You know, that's not like rocket science, but. <laughs> and I know we, we like the, the title of this is, you know, balance, blend and intonation. And something that you and I have frequently visited is talking about the importance of making sure tone quality, the tone quality is characteristic before 
getting to balance and blend and intonation. Uh, yes. why, like why, why do you have to have the, the characteristic sound? Okay. What I find is that many band directors, not many, but a lot of people um, want to, to play different types of things, but the, the tone quality of the individual, and I've had this in my own bands, the tone quality of an individual is kind of detrimental to the overall ensemble sound that I'm trying to produce sometimes. And I have to go, for lack of a better term, mine my band, you know, like dig in there and find where that sound is or where that, that thing that's different than what I'm looking for. I have to go find that. And it's a person, you know, or a section. And then I have to, you know, do instrumental surgery to try to figure out what we need to do to make that section better. And um, that is training your ears to what you want to hear. And the only way you can do that is by getting a sound, a band sound in your ear. How do you get a band sound in your ear? Maybe you hear someone else's band, or maybe maybe you've been in an ensemble that, that makes those great sounds, or you work with someone whose ensemble makes great sounds, and you want to get your kids to make great sounds. That, that, that tone tonality that's in your ear is important to what you're trying to produce uh, with the kids that are sitting in front of you. And I will say this, this is based on where we are right now, not knowing what, you know, band looks like for the next however long. If we get to a point where it's like chamber music or something, you know, and, and they're still allowing us to do band and we got, you know, you know, a group of 20 kids in a room versus, you know, 60 kids in a room and they have to be social distance or something, you're still going to be able to listen and, and, and understand what, what sounds you want the kids to make. So let me, without a bunch more words, let me just say this tone quality is the most important thing. And it's the greatest tool you have as a band director when it comes to creating an ensemble sound, tone quality, individual tone quality. And speaking of that listening piece, you already kind of alluded to it, but you know, with, with the different parts of the warm up, you know, um, and you call it preparation, the bits of the preparation, um, with the long tones, with the lip slurs, what are you listening for when you play long tones, for instance? I'm listening, number one, like I said, the characteristic sound is the first and foremost thing, okay? And, and But me, I actually look at my kids, like, I mean, I'm, I'm studying how they're approaching the way they play their instrument, because a lot of times what's coming out of the instrument has a lot to do with the way they physically approach the instrument. So I watch them to make sure that the things that I've taught them, they're doing on a daily basis. You know. Um, Going from junior high to high school, I think the, the, the biggest thing that I learned was that high school kids still need that redirection too. But, and I find that they're even better when I've kind of hands-on, you know, as far as how they look. You know, with my junior high kids, it was like, you know, you got to look a certain way. Now, of course, there's certain kids that, you know, because their physical makeup may not, but I think it's really important. So listening in my long tones, once I got all that physical nature thing, an even smooth tone from section to section, you know, that, that, that characteristic sound is being produced from section to section, but also from person to person. Okay. So in my long tones, when I'm listening, uh, the word we use is resonance, you know, and that resonance doesn't happen unless you, you've got a characteristic tone coming out of the instrument. So as I'm doing that, I'm listening to, for a long, smooth tone on each note. And if they're long tones, when they're changing notes, I want them to change from note to note without any bumps in the sound. So I'm trying to, to do the note connection without any bumps or, or shakes in the sound. 
And then what about lip slurs? One of the flexibility exercises? Yeah, I, I'm not a brass player, but I, I pretend like I'm one sometimes in a band rehearsal, you know. But I, I think same thing, once again, that smooth, you know, airflow is so important when it comes to flexibility and, and making sure that students are, are breathing correctly. And when I start my breathing exercises, that's a big deal because I, I refer in my daily drill, I often refer back to what I started with. Everything I do is built on, you know, the thing I've done before. So when they're doing their flexibility exercise, I don't want to see a ton of movement in their faces. Once again, it's, it's what I'm looking at because I try to find out where is that place that they're making that sound. And then when they're using their flexibility, I want to hear, once again, smooth sounds from note to note without any bumps or gaps. And I want consistency in, in every uh, interval that they're, you know, in their flexibility or lip slurs that they're going through. And before we get to the next one, like asking about articulation, um, something that, because it's all connected, that we talk about with notes is there's three parts to every note. That's correct. And, it, you know, we have the start, the sustain, sustain and, the release. and the release. That is correct. And so with the start, the sustain and the release, listening for that consistency, um, but even those three pieces existing within the articulation, um, what are you listening for during the articulation? During the articulation, once again, is consistency. You know, articulation uh, is one thing I tell my students. Articulation is about want to. This is not some, like, I'm not going to go with some big, giant technical thing for you. Articulation is about want to. You either want to or you don't want to. And I tell my students, if they can do it once, they should be able to do it twice. They should be able to do it three times. And what we do with articulation, repetition, 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 but they have to know what it feels like and they have to know what it sounds like. You know, even in the beginner level, they have to know what it looks like. Like, what does my face look like when I'm articulating? But you say, what? It looks like, yeah, we use mirrors, but that's another lesson for another time, another day. But with articulation, consistency inside their mouth and consistency of what I hear. And so I tell the student, we, we have to try to identify where they're supposed to articulate on whatever instrument it is. And the biggest thing about all this is time. I get it. Not everybody has the same amount of time. And in different places where I've taught, I had more time to do things than others. In different levels of band, I have more time to do things than others. But I start with the end in mind. If I'm with my third band, it's probably going to take me a longer period of time to get where I need to be. I also have a group of kids that may not be as focused as the kids in my top band. So I have to find out how to continue to feed them, if you will, and keep them engaged. And that comes from always letting them know along the way what we're trying to do and what the end result is supposed to be. Now I'll get back to articulation. Um, <laughs> consistency. <laughs> Sorry, I digress. Consistency. Um, you know, as, as we all, all say, you know, touch, your tongue touch the same place with the same strength every time. Most of us whoa, know whoa, that. Stop. Say that again. Say it for the people in the back. Oh, <laughs> I think a lot of people, uh, your tongue touches in the same place with the same strength every single time. You know, um, as far as articulation is concerned, that's just consistency. You have to find that place where they're going to articulate and train them to do that every single time for the type of articulation that you're doing. Okay. And this is a concept uh, I'm about to ask you about F around the room, concert F around the room. Um, okay. This is the patron saint of Texas, if you will. This is something that happens quite often. Um, and for people who don't know what concert F around the room is, um, it's a long tone exercise where the 
each section individually plays uh, the note concert F for a specified amount of beats um, at different times. So the trumpet section will go for four counts and then a different group and then a different group, uh, usually from low to high. Uh, but during that exercise, Mr. Davis, what are you, what are you looking for? Once again, consistency, John. Um, all this, once again, is based on getting that tone quality, that consistent characteristic tone quality from individuals, then from section. And then once you establish that, you take it from section to section. And when we do concert F around the room, the, the you mentioned it before, the three parts of the note, the start, sustain, and the release, okay? Um, it's important that where one group stops is where the next group starts. Okay, so when we go concert F around the room, we're literally handing a baton of sound from section to section. And we want to make sure that our sound, yes, is in tune, you know, as great, as closely as we can, but we have to be in tune with one another first, and then we hand that off from section to section. And I do concert F around the room in many different ways. I overlap it sometimes. Um, you know, we do eight counts, you know, from section to section, four counts from section to section. We overlap. We do a lot of different things with concert F around the room. And speaking of that, uh, we're talking about matching each other on that concert F around the room. I want to talk a little bit about um, the concepts that we use to help that balance happen. Um, and I think the, the, the base layer that we have is like the trio. So can you can you talk a little bit about what the trio concept is? And I'll put a little picture up of what it looks like. Yeah, I'm not the. I didn't create that trio thing, you know. But I think a lot of a lot, if you're if you're a if you're a Texas person, you a lot of people know about that trio band concept, you know, where you have three students and their their listening direction is right to left, and you know they're trying to match pitch, energy, all those different things, um, characteristic tone qualities with the person on their right or their left. It's a very, very popular and very effective um, way of doing uh, band listening or band balance, if you will. And so while this is effective, you've, I guess, put your knowledge together over the years um, and you've put together what you call diamond balance. Is that right? Yeah, um, the trio, worked really well and i used it forever that that was you know just the thing i did but back in i think it was 2009 or something like that i don't know what happened but as i was looking at the tree i was like it's it's kind of three-dimensional if you will or i don't know two-dimensional even that students are just listening side to side yet there's sound in front of them in most cases there's sound behind them in most cases and i kind of scribbled it down on a piece of paper and it looked like a baseball diamond with a pitcher in the middle and, and you know, the, the guy throwing the ball, not a pitcher of water, you know, but anyway, um, and I was like, it's a diamond. And so when I looked at it, I was like, it was a diamond of sound. And, and yes. And so I was like, it created multi-directional listening. And while it looks like it's two trios, it's a right left trio and a front back trio. But the interesting thing about it was in this particular setting, the instruments weren't always the same. In most of the trio settings, we base them on, on instruments that are the same. But in the diamond balance, you could get multiple instruments. And what it does, it sets the student's ears to on all the time. 
And so, um, you know, I was able to present this a, a couple of years ago at TBA, but um, what you do is all this obviously is based on those other issues like characteristic tone quality being right and teaching kids how to, how to match. But now I've taken it to a different level because, you know, we usually say match the person on your right or your left. And they think person on their right or your left. And the diamond concept, we use colors. We like I use the concepts of purchasing diamonds, you know, it's like, or the characteristics of a diamond, you know, the cut of a diamond can be any kind of shape. The clarity of a diamond is the tonal resonance that we're trying to get the kids to, to play with. And the color of the diamond, the colors in the diamond represent all the different instruments. And so as I thought through that, I was like, hmm. So if kid is sitting here, and there's a you know a clarinet on one side and a, a, a flute on the other side or a saxophone behind them, or maybe there's a saxophone and a trump, trumpet behind them. The students learn to listen for a particular color of instrument and not just the, ins- the person on their right or their left. And so you can tell a kid. You, so this takes a little while at the beginning, but we're like, OK, create your diamond. I'm sitting here. There's a person on my right, the person on my left. There's a person in front of me. There's a person behind me. I'm the center of the diamond. When I look around and identify, I identify the instruments that are in that diamond, not just the person that's sitting right or left of me. So now as I'm playing, I can literally listen to hear, hey, do I hear a trombone while I'm playing? Do I hear a, a, a flute while I'm playing? And the more kids practice this, the more they, they, they get it. And it starts to create this resonance that's absolutely amazing. And I even, I kind of experimented with, with region bands is where I really started. You know, I was doing it in my own band hall and I was like, I wonder if this will work in a region band. And what I find is at, at every level, I mean, even in my third band, even in my fourth band at the high school, at every level, the kids understood the concept. They got excited about it and they were, it, it made what was intangible, tangible. And it really started to teach the kids. It, it took them to a new level of awareness in an ensemble performance. And so we started doing diamond pass-offs and it affected our like solo and ensemble stuff because we would do ensembles and say, play inside your diamond. And so I will tell you on that diamond concept, I'll give you really simple. Um, the diamond is your ensemble and the clarity and the brilliance is the tonal clarity and brilliance of the band. Okay, and the color is just the timbre of each instrument. Kids understand these things. If you if you tell them, you know, listen for a particular instrument. You know, we like to say sometimes, you know, trumpets, put your sound inside the tubas. Yes, I've done that before. I get that. I get that. But when I say trumpets, put the tubas inside your diamond. It's amazing how quickly they can do that because now they have a sound in their ear that they're learning to listen for. And then they they learn to balance, if you will to allow that sound to come into their ear while they're playing. And it creates a whole new student awareness. It literally puts the responsibility of balance on the student and takes it off of the director. And it it creates an active engagement in every rehearsal. And I just say, play inside your diamond. Okay. And the kids, because we taught the concepts of what it means to do the trio, if you will, or what diamond balance means. When I say play inside your diamond, Immediately, all the things that I've taught them start to go through their mind. Okay, that means right, left, front, back. That means I need to be able to hear this instrument. That Oh, this person's in my diamond. And so once I say, hey, 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 play inside your diamond. Because honestly, every single day I come back to school and we play the first note, 
nobody plays inside their diamond. I don't understand. I'm like, we've been doing this for years. And what am I going to say? And they go, play inside your diamond. Like, here we go again. And it's great. I'm like, why would you do that? And some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Cool. So one of the motivating factors in a diamond is I tell the kids that um, when a master jeweler is cutting diamonds and they're appraising diamonds, they look for uh, the they, diamonds have these little black spots. I do little, you know, lessons with kids. What are the black spots called? They're like carbon deposits. I'm like, yeah, right. They're imperfections. They're the things that devalue the diamond. And so I'm like, you don't want to be an imperfection. And kids are like, you know, I'm like, don't be an imperfection. It takes it to another level because you don't want to be the thing that devalues the diamond. And so these are simple little concepts, but it's amazing how kids from, you know, junior high, third band to high school wind ensemble really understand these concepts and it changes their their approach to how they play their instrument in an ensemble setting and you are the master jeweler and you get to observe and appraise the quality of the ensemble or the diamond if you will while they're playing and while i'm, I'm going to share this uh, and this is pretty much what you just went over um you stole my tba power no, <laughs> There's no stealing in band when you teach with an open hand. There you go. There it is. The, 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 somebody's going to ask it. You know, I'm the trumpet player that sits on the end, and yeah. there's a snare drummer or bass drummer next to yes. me. Am I expected to balance to the snare drum? You know what? That's funny you would ask that because I'm sure somebody on this has seen this. I see Doreen on there. I think she's seen me do this. I literally will take a snare drummer and a bass drummer and I will say, okay, I need you to snare drummer. I need you to roll and bass drummer. I want you to play, you know, whether it's eight counts or 16 counts, quarter notes, or eight notes, whatever. And I will, I will have the group in front of them. Usually it's maybe trombones or, or depending on how the ensemble is set up. Um, I literally say, okay, now put the snare drummer inside your diamond, put the snare drummer put the trombone player inside your diamond. I don't leave anyone out. And when we do, especially in marches, it's amazing how quickly it balances out a march. Cause y'all know sometimes we get to play marches and the snare drummer can just like kind of destroy the entire march like by themselves, you know? And it's like, it's amazing because it creates another level of awareness that kids aren't used to. And it's active, it's ongoing and active. So when, when you put the kids in their diamond, Yes. What are you having them listen for? Are they matching volume? Are they matching tone? You said match energy. Like, what does that mean? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> the same things they would match in a sectional or in, in their individual section are the things that you match in your diamond because um, you're, it's, it goes back again to consistent characteristic tone. Okay. So when you're playing in your diamond, you are matching sound energy, if you will, uh, the, the volume that the students are playing with. Okay, you're matching pitch. And once, you know, once again, characteristic tone quality because you can't tune a bad sound. So you got to have characteristic tone quality in order to achieve these things that we're trying to do. But yes, it we are matching the same things that we would match in a trio, but we match them in our diamond. And so when you're first introducing this concept, yes, how, how do you introduce it? Do you do it on one note or do you just say, here's a diamond, do it in a song? How does that? No, work? no, no, no. Yeah, it's a slow process and not everybody has the patience to do it, but I, I will take one kid, like I'll, I'll take a region band setting because that's where it has to happen really fast. I will take a kid and I'll say, okay, and I, and I purposely pick a kid 
that's like somewhere in the middle of the room that has people all around them. Okay. And I'll say, Hey, Susie, you know, play a concertette. And then I'll say, okay, I'll go right, left. And I have the people on the right or the left. I was like, okay, Susie, start playing. And then add the two people on the right or the left. And I'll tell them, you know, make sure you're listening. And then I'll say, okay, now look behind you and in front of you. Okay. And we'll start them playing. And then eventually all five of them are playing at the same time. And you hear all kinds of crazy things come out that you've never heard before. And you can tell the kids aren't listening to one another. And so you do that two or three times and it really improves. The higher the level of band, obviously the quicker it happens. But um, I've done it with a junior high third band. And I mean, a junior high third band that, you know, some people would be like, what are you doing? And it improves, you know, because you're only you're taking the kids where they are and you're taking what they what they bring to the table and you're trying to get them at a higher level. Did that answer your question? Um, <laughs> I believe it did. I believe it did. Um, and this is a little bit off topic, but it, it pertains uh -oh. to the to the overall topic that we're talking about. But we just got a question in here. Just okay. how do you teach students to release? To release? Like release the sound together? Are, are, are we releasing, um, like releasing a long tone? I, I do what I call, we call it OTR at my school, open throat release. Okay. Um, we don't do any tongue stops at all. You know, and my students know that all, all releases are, you know, open throat release. Oh, they don't move. You know, the air has to finish the sound. It has to get through your instrument before you ever move your face, because whatever you put on this end, it's going to come out bigger on the other end. So it's always open throat release, allowing the sound to continue and finish before you know, you move your face, so to speak. And I love what you said about being still. And that's something that I've been uh, hearing, like as we talk more and more about band, about the posture and how you need to be still. What's the importance? Like, what's the what should a band look like when they're playing? Let's say, like a four count concert F. And they I don't know. I, I every band is different, and every band director wants something different. With my with my students, it's it's the the posture, if you will, it's the approach the their approach to their instrument that we've taught them, that's what they look like. You don't move. Um, now, mind you, the higher up the level of kid, you know, kids become more expressive and they do different things, but this part doesn't move. You know, their body may be doing all manner of things, but this is not moving, you know? So I think it's important that students understand what being still means. Absolutely. So what is, let's see, there we go. So we talked about the, the diamond concept and yeah. how you're going front to back and you're going left to right. Um, and how do you, and this is to kind of circle everything together, but you know, you're six months, eight months into it and things are going well, you know, the kids are doing what you're asking to do. What are some words that you use with your ensemble or phrases that you use to help them to get in, uh, get inside their diamond. Yeah. So um, when you're telling kids to play inside your diamond, that is a catch all phrase for all the things that, that you want them to be listening for. Okay. I always say that the diamond creates, puts the student's ears to on. Okay. So on to what it's an interactive involvement in making music every day. So 
things that they're listening for. Yes, I'm listening to, am I playing louder than this person on my right? You know, in this particular passage of music that asked me not to like, let's say a daily drill, for instance, you know, am I literally trying to match this person next to me or am I getting all this craziness happening between me and this person? Some kids can hear it. Some kids can't. I had a kid tell me last year, <laughs> this is an all-state clarinet player. And he said, he goes, Mr. Davis, this is towards the end of last school year. This is a, He's a senior, all-state clarinet player. He goes, I heard it. It's like, what are you talking about? He goes, I got to tell you something, Mr. Davis. He goes, you've been saying that since I was in the seventh grade, and I have never heard any of that diamond stuff that you're talking about. I don't even know, but I just heard it. I'm like, well, praise the Lord. You finally heard it, Ethan. You're an all-state clarinet player. It's great. You know, it was awesome. But he said he heard it. And, you know, so everybody's not going to hear it. But they're concepts that we train kids to look for. And as all of you know, every kid picks up things differently and it, over a course of time. But it's our job to give them the information on a daily basis. So making a characteristic tone all the time. Do you sound like a clarinet player? Do you sound like a trumpet player? You know, are you approaching the instrument the way that you're supposed to approach the instrument? When you're producing the sound, are you matching your tonal energy or sound energy with the person on your right or your left and your front or your back? Do you hear the instruments that are around you? Do you hear the color, the timbre of the instrument in your diamond? What colors are in your diamond? I said, oh, tenor saxophone. Do you hear him? No, I didn't hear him. Why are you playing too loud? I don't know. Well, let's go back and do that again and see if you can hear that. You know, so those are the things, the little details that instructs them to do what you want them to do while they're playing. And as I do it on a daily basis, when I just say play inside your diamond, it fixes it. Even in a region band setting, it fixes it because kids are like, oh, yeah, I remember he said this, 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 and this. So I want to I want to zoom out, no pun intended, ha, zoom uh, real quick and look at what because we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about what a daily drill can look like, what we're listening for. We've talked about the trio concept. We've talked about the go ahead, Mr. Davis. You got something? Yeah. What, what, yeah. It's a word I forgot or a phrase that I use every day, man. Balance responsibilities. OK, the, the kids have to understand that they have balance responsibilities. See, I, I, the biggest thing is putting this thing in um, in their hands. The responsibility of having a great band, you put it in their hands and that they're responsible for making their band better. So we talk about our balance responsibilities and the diamond balance. I don't know how this all became about diamond balance. But anyway, the diamond balance clearly identifies my balance responsibility as, the, as an individual player. Now. You may change some of those things from section to section, depending on what music you're playing, but you can still say, hey, uh, you know, trumpets are the clarinets in your diamond, you know, and all it does, it just turns their ears on to that section is what it is. So it's an awareness thing. And that's, that awareness word is something you keep coming back to and coming back to. It's, it's very Because that's interactive with kids. And if once you can hear when your band is not aware. When, you, when your kids are playing, I don't care if you're – you don't have to have some all-world, all-state honor band to know when your kids are aware of what's going on around them. You can see it on them, and you can hear it coming out of their instruments. And, you know, I'm telling you, I, and I've taught at every level, you know, from the inner city to, the, you know, the – ATSSB, for those of you who don't know, that's our Texas small school bands, you know, to 
six A high school, you know, triple C, whatever band level, all the different band levels. And I can tell when students aren't aware of what's going on or not trying to be aware. So anything I can do to help students maintain awareness and understand what I'm trying to get them to produce, it's going to be better for everybody and it keeps them more engaged. Absolutely. And folks, as uh, as we go right here, we're about to go into our Q&A se section. So if you have questions, please feel free to drop it um, in the chat and I, that that'll be available for you uh, to do. So you can go ahead and drop the questions in the chat. Um, but Mr. Davis, one of the things that, you know, or we've been covering a lot of ground. We talked about the warm up, the daily drill. We talked about what to listen for there. We talked about the trio concept and the, the diamond concept. But I want to kind of take a look at what that looks like in in our rehearsal. So like looking at like a week long setup of of band, like what would how do we apply this to what we're doing with our kiddos? So I'm going to see. Yeah. There we go. Can y'all like, give me a thumbs up if y'all can see that? OK. Beautiful. All right. So can you kind of walk us through this, Mr. Davis? Oh, you're muted. You were you had me muted. It said I was muted by the host. Yes, I, I'm throwing. I didn't touch the mouse. I'm throwing you under the bus. It says you are <laughs> muted, unmuted by host. There you go. All right, cool. So all this is is just uh, it's something I I do for the entire band program. And this this happened to be in the middle of um, marching band season, but I would do the same thing if I were in concert season. Um, and this is just a daily plan for like, you know, just the, the I don't know, the, the daily drill, if you will. But it's kind of a hodgepodge of things that we use to get our kids going each day. And so we do this with like, we have a thought, you know, and like this says, always begin class standing because, you know, that's what we do. And we give our daily analysis, our primary focus and instructions before sitting. This was November, so I think this is right at the end of marching season when we were just getting ready to get back into sit-down band, as we call it. But like it says, tonal prep, you know, breathing, you know, that's the metronome mark, you know, big deal. That concert F hum, sing, da, we call it an audiation sequence, okay? Um, and it's just where we sing, uh, we, we hum for eight counts, rest for four, then we sing, da, uh, and then we we play. So it's like I'll tell you real simple. It's a like that, and then we'll go like that, and then we'll go like that. Okay. So um, that is our audiation sequence. We do that every single day, and then after we do the audiation sequence, it's all connected. Then we play a concert F. So they just finished singing. And then we add the concert up. So they hum to get it in their head. And then they hum and sing da to externalize it, if you will. And then they da for eight counts to make sure that we know what our open throat release is. And then we play that note and we try to make that note sound as good as the singing and balance with the singing. It's kind of weird, but over time it, it gets better. Okay. I know someone just asked, what book is that we're using? Um, I think I have a picture of it. I don't know, but you'd have to I can, go I off can that. We can do that in a minute. We can do that in a minute, okay? Because um, most people may not be familiar with Nathan Carter's book that we use, okay? Uh, and then the long tones, we, it has a, a bunch of different long tones in it that we use. Same long tones that everyone 
uh, uses. And then articulation, we have an articulation drill sheet, no different from any articulation exercise that you may want to use. We do it and we do extended articulation studies where it may not just be one note, but it may be, you know, up five, down five, or it could be scale, scale, uh, diatonic articulation or something like that. So they, and you notice it says these get harder each page. And then we have flexibility. This just tells you the plan of our band on a daily basis. So we'll take this, it'll be for a week, we'll put it on the stand, and each director can pull from this list based on what they want to do with their band each week. And it does not have to be exactly the same, but um, the kids are aware that this is what we're, we're pulling from, okay? And we have different flexibility exercises, airflow studies, and then our tuning focus. Okay, that's where we teach kids how to, excuse me, sorry about that. That's where we teach kids how to do, uh, sorry, can't help that. Um, our tuning focus where we teach kids how to listen to one another in our pass-through exercises, okay? And then we go on to skills and technique that eventually lead into music. And two questions, do you want me to show what the book looks like? Uh, do you have a picture of it? Yeah, I do. Okay. Let's see. Share screen. Yeah. All right, so here's the book. Uh, it's Fundamentals in Ensemble Drill by Nathan Carter. Right. Um, and they have, it says trumpet in the corner. Obviously they have it for all the instruments, but you can get a set. Right, that's just a book that we use. Uh, we've used it for years. Nathan's a, a nice guy, yeah, I'm a nice guy. He's a great band director. Um, and I met him back when I used to teach in uh, Fort Ben ISD and, uh, it just works really, it worked really great for us. You know, I don't know if it's for everybody, but it worked really great for us. And then we have a question here. Uh, how do you teach students about color and timbre? About color and timbre. Well, the, remember what I said before, the instrumental color is just the characteristic tone of that instrument. So I don't teach color per Mr. se is can you start over i i didn't get any of your audio i'm sorry can you hear me yeah there we go all right go ahead okay the color and the timbre are just the characteristic tone quality of the instrument so i i don't try to create any um weirdness if you will about color and timbre because the instrument is the color the, the, the sound of the, the characteristic sound of that instrument, that's the color, that's the timbre. And so what, if students are approaching the instrument the right way, then we're gonna get the color or the timbre that we want. I got you. And then there's another question here. Um, it's about articulation and yes. I'll, I will try to, he's, the person's asking for articulation sheets to be shared. I don't have any. Um, but can you talk about what an articulation drill looks like, Mr. Davis? Um, you know, John, hold on one second. Let me see. I think I can pull up one of the articulation drills that's in Mr. Carter's book. Hold on. Uh, possibly. No, I thought I could, but I cannot. But, um, you know, it's basically going from whole notes and then breaking down by division of beat 
all the way down to whatever level you're trying to to teach down to 16th notes. But understanding that the articulation, the air never changes, you know, like you don't have kids breathing, you know, that, that whatever length of sound you're producing, in most cases we do it in whole notes to start with, that every time we break that into a smaller division of the beat, we're still using the same air, we're still touching our tongue the same place with the same strength every time, we're just doing it more frequently, interrupting the air, if you will. I'm sorry, I'm trying to see if I can pull one up on my screen here. I can't get to it fast enough. <laughs> um, very good. So we've gotten through quite a bit of, of what? sorry, there we go. Here's another question. I'm sorry, I'm stopping to move my thought. To help build, build characteristic instrument sounds, do you incorporate recording-based listening activities into rehearsal time or do you sign it for homework? What do you mean by recording-based listening activities? So, like, so they get an idea of what a particular instrument is supposed to sound like? Yeah. Cool. Um, I don't do a lot of, like, get someone or, like, go listen to this person. There are times where we'll do uh, listen to music, you know, if we're going to do a particular piece. But as far as individuals are concerned, at the junior high level, um, Sometimes we would have people, if we have private lessons, some people have private lessons, some people don't. If you don't have access to all that, then yeah, I would find someone that you want your kids to emulate and then say, hey, go listen to this person. But you got to remember sometimes what they're listening to or what they're listening on is going to change the way they hear what you want them to hear. And not every kid, like, you know, my device may not sound like your device. So maybe I can do it for them at school if I can produce that sound. But as a band director, I only play the instruments that I can make sound, right? I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to get, I'm not playing for kids if I can't make a characteristic sound. But if I need to get someone to do that or bring someone in, I can do that too for them. All right. In the, in the process, and so folks, I see your questions in the chat. I'm trying my best to get to all of them. Uh, in the process of teaching, how much do you accept an inaccuracy and move on uh, and move on and keep improving the next day. Uh, many things aren't perfect on day way, especially on day one, especially in younger groups. That's probably one of my downfalls is that I move too slowly at times. However, I think I'm somewhat entertaining. So they hang on for some reason. I don't know. But um, yeah, you, you got to know when to move on. But you can't move on so far that you get away from the concept you're trying to fix in the moment. So Yes, there are times where you got to move on from this thing, this particular thing. But when I move on, sometimes I try to move on to something that still has the idea of what I'm doing in it so I can still teach those same concepts. All right. And then what do you have a recommended tuning note for high school instruments versus middle school? Yeah, I, I saw that, you know, that um, no, um, we do the old Texas tried and true concert F. <laughs> that's, that's just, you know, it's just what we do. It's just, it's, you know, I call it a, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. You know, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's what I've done. And I do, I've done concerts, something else around the room, you know, depending on what I'm teaching or what music I'm trying or what tonality or, pitch center, tone center, I'm trying to get kids to play in, you know, if we're doing a march and it's an A flat or something like that, 
and I'll do exercises and, uh, you know, a flat around the room and stuff like that to, to get that, that note in their head. So uh, I will teach kids to tune in other keys than just concert F, but I don't do it by instrument unless I'm doing something in a sectional that's specific to that purpose. But the same principles can be applied to regard. regard it's the exact same principles, regardless of what I'm doing. And if they can't make a good sound on that particular note, then I have to work them to that note. I have to help them work to that note. All right. Uh, this is a great question here. Main, what are the main differences in your teachings between the balance blend and intonation marching band versus concert band? That's really good that someone asked that, you know, when I got to Sinker Ranch high school, it was, you know, yeah, this guy who does this sound thing with junior high bands and it's, it's, it's really good sound of junior high, but is it going to work in high school? And it has really, really worked well because when we did the diamond concept inside, um, we just created this kind of a band sound inside. And then we took it outside and increased the volume without changing the approach. Almost, you know, we still looked for the same concepts, but we were outside and some people might think that's like totally crazy, you know, but it, it, the, the band sound just got huge outside and it just kept expanding and the kids weren't forcing. And, and it, uh, so I used similar concepts, but the amount of air that we're using outside is obviously a little different. We do some resistance exercises um, outside that, you know, that kind of, plug the sound, if you will, you know, for a little bit, just to produce more air, but we're still listening. We're still using the same listening concepts, even though we're outside. All right. And we'll take one more question. So if you have that golden question, one you've been waiting for, this is your time to ask it. Go ahead and drop it in the chat. Uh, Mr. Davis, for you, <clears throat> what are some, some exercises or things that you've uh, utilized to uh, and like continue to use the diamond balance, but keep the kids engaged. Yeah. Um, I think student engagement is based on goals. You know, every time I get ready to start something with kids, I'm trying to tell them what we're doing. So they don't, they get bored when they don't know where we're going. You know, it's not like we're going to Disneyland, you know, like, Hey, we're going, yeah. You know, it's like, okay, y'all, we're going to do uh, interval resonance. Number one. And when we do interval resonance number one, I want you to try to make sure that when you're moving note to note that we're not getting a lot of bumps in your sound. Okay, I want to see how smoothly you can move from note to note change. And if I find that they're getting bored with it, I'm like, okay, Bob, play interval resonance number one. Give me the first two notes of interval resonance number one, and then everyone else play behind him. Bob is now on point. He's like, uh oh, everybody can hear me. You know, I want y'all to sound like Bob. You know, and I know a lot of you do that stuff. But it, some people say it's just playing games, but I find it engaging students. And so it's not about the exercise as much as it is about the goal of the exercise and the students knowing the goal of the exercise. I got you. So that's I'm, I don't have any more questions for you, Mr. Davis. Do you have anything else that you wanted to add in? Uh, it takes a lot of time, you know, and and. One of the things I say a lot about is I don't know that everybody is um, everybody has the patience it takes to do that because it, it's hard. And, it, and, you know, people say kids get bored. I think directors get bored, too. And I do, too. And there's sometimes we get there. We have to understand that if, if I'm bored, if I'm bored, they're going to be bored. OK, so I have to have a plan and I have to stick to my plan. 
And there are times where you have to kind of you know, shift gears. I understand that everything's not perfect, but I'm, I'm pretty determined in my plan with the kids, but the kids always know that Mr. Davis has their best interests at heart, that I'm not just up there beating on them because I want to sound good. The kids enjoy what they're doing and they understand. And they tell me in the end, man, I, I didn't really like doing that, you know, but now I understand why we're doing it. And when a kid tells you that, you're like, man, that's really good. I'm really glad that you're not like, I hate you. I hate this band. I'm leaving. You know, <laughs> But I've had those too. So. <laughs> and before folks, before you sign off, um, I do want you to know next week we have another star stud lineup. We start on Monday. We have recruiting and retention. Uh, we have Miss Cindy Lansford coming on. We have uh, Kim Bain from Alabama, one of the finest directors in the country coming in. And also one of Chicago's finest directors, Mr. Marquise Russell, all here. And then on Thursday, we have trombone pedagogy. We have trombone pedagogy um, on, on Thursday at 630. So we'll be able or we'll have uh, we're looking forward to having you guys there. So a huge thank you to you, Mr. Davis. Thank you for doing this. This has been fabulous. Hey, y'all. I see I see a lot of faces of people I know. Thank you all so much for. Uh, coming on and, and being on here. I'm like, I told John, this will probably be one of the smallest uh, groups that he has. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I'm going to say this. And if you don't want to hear it, you can get out. That's fine. Y'all know who I am. Y'all know who I love. And I, God bless each one of y'all. I, I'm praying that y'all continue to, you know, you're able to, to get through this and that your families are, are well and that the Lord will bless you guys. And I know that's not band related, but you know what? Y'all know me. I'm, I'm that open about my love for Jesus. So God bless y'all. I thank y'all so much for listening and taking your time and be safe.